you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Um, I got to tell you, it's been a process to get here. Challenge is, Todd called me up and said, hey, Mike, would you like to speak again? And I had the great honor about two years ago to come speak with you guys in the past. And to be able to come and speak with you guys again is awesome to me. Because this morning, what can we do? I, I love that song. I wasn't planning for this in the message that I hope to bring today, the encouragement I'm hoping to bring to you guys today. But the, the reality is, what can we do? And that just it hit me as we were, we were saying that. And I have a lot in my life that I've done but what does that matter compared to you guys? So, you know, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Michelangelo Scalzi. I am a volunteer youth leader at the Ignite Youth Ministry up at Cedarbrook Church in Menominee. Um, my wife and I have celebrated 25 years now. We have kids who have finally moved out of the house, which means we can finally clean the place and, like, start remodeling and finally change out that carpet and do something different and maybe have furniture for the next 20 years that will last. You know what I mean, right? But, it's, but the reality is I feel really fortunate this morning to be here. And the reason is, is for a long time in my life, I've had a great passion of the stories that I read in the Bible and the things that God did with others throughout the Bible. And I don't mean just Jesus. I mean, this is going to be kind of weird sounding, but when I talk to teenagers... I'm often in the moment. I'm often trying to gauge them. I'm trying to see where they're at. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? So when I stand in front of a bunch of adults, I get all nervous. Because it's like, man, adults are not teenagers. Because if you think back, all of us as teenagers, at some point, we're always asking the question, what am I supposed to do? Why am I here? How does this work? You know, and here we have this song that we just finished saying, what can I do? And that, it, it, it's amazing how God works, it seems. You know, it doesn't matter how many times I rewrote the message I hope to share today with you guys. It just keeps coming down to the same thing. The more I thought about and the more I prayed about what was I supposed to share, and I hope that this will impact every one of you that's in here. But it was to be the difference. To be the difference. Isn't it amazing that all of us can think of someone in our lives at some point, whether you were this little or this big or this big, we all can think of somebody who affected the trajectory, I can't even say this word right, trajectory? No, somebody help me out. Trajectory. I love it. You know, when talking to teenagers, they're fine with that because they're like, oh yeah, what's that word? You know, right? But the trajectory, there we go, right? We all can think of it. I mean, if I asked you right now, can you think of someone, even in your youth, how fast does it come to your your mind? That person, that family member, that teacher, that coach, that Sunday school teacher. I had a wonderful experience with Wayne. Where's Wayne? I, I was sitting with Wayne this morning. There he is. I was sitting with Wayne. He was able to think of a Sunday school teacher from however long ago, just like that. And literally say, she made it exciting. It makes me think of Mrs. Keene. 
There was Mrs. Keene. I, I used to go to a church called The Harbor in Hastings, Minnesota for many, many years. When I was young, I was 17. Somebody said, hey, Mike, have you ever gone to church? And I said, no. And yet I knew Jesus for three years. And this person had noticed while I was working out at a camp, they said, man, you really seem to know Jesus. Where do you go to church? And I said, I don't go to church. I don't have a church. Nobody's ever invited me to church. The only church I ever had was I grew up Catholic. And so I went to CCD class and maybe went to church because you were supposed to or watch all-star wrestling with my dad at the same time, right? But the reality was nobody had invited me. So they invited me and, and I went to this church and I got to hear things that were going on and I got to experience things. But one of the things I got to experience was a lady named Mrs. Keene. Mrs. Keene and Kevin Keene, okay, I don't know why I, call it, I list his name out, but Denise and Kevin Keene were the Sunday school teachers, and they did it so amazingly. I thought for sure they were paid Sunday school teachers, you know, like they had the anointing on them, that they were, they were, they were baptized into talking to little kids, and, and that was their job, and they were paid to do that. Little did I know they were volunteers, like many of us that are sitting here today, many of us in some way, we might be a volunteer in the church. We're not the pastor. We're not Todd. Maybe we didn't go to Bible school. Maybe we didn't. But God, can you imagine with me for a moment? God would still want to use people today in 2021. And my question that I'm hoping to bring today is, could it be possible God would still want to use us? You and me. I'm a volunteer youth leader at the, at the youth ministry. I enjoy that. But Mrs. Keene brought some of that to life to me in being able to notice that even as a volunteer, she could cause kids to get excited about God. She was one of those Sunday school teachers, and as a team, her and her husband, uh, he played a role every once in a while as an antagonist who would show up in a, in a costume as a clown, and he stood like this tall. You know, he was just this huge man, and, and he would show up as Shazmo, and he would, he would antagonize the teacher and what was going on, and the kids loved this interaction, and they would beg their parents to get up. We need to go to church. Imagine what that's like. And for some of you, you've experienced people like that, that they made it so alive, and they made it such a fascination. I need to go. I need to hear about God. I want to experience God. And I, I, I grew up in this. And I continued to be a volunteer leader, maybe in part because of Mrs. Keene. So I kind of hope that I can speak to you like you and I are at a similar level today. Meaning, forget about everything we know. We're not the Pope. Maybe you're not Pastor Todd. But could God still use you? And could he use you in ways that you would never imagine? Could God use you to do something that you don't even know the end result? See, in, in youth ministry, one of the things that happens in youth ministry, and I'm sure this happens in children's ministry too, we don't know what kind of seed of the word of God that we're planting, what kind of plant is going to come out of that. You, you know what I mean? We, we, we take our time and we volunteer and we share into young people's lives, but we never sometimes ever get to see the fruit of what happens. We never get to, you know, we, we're surrounded by corn out here. We never get to see the harvest sometimes. You, I, am, I, am I tracking with you guys, right? Am I making sense? But who were those people? Who were those people even outside of church that spoke into your life that, again, 
could God do that today? You know, the Bible is just full of stories that are filled with ordinary people that God used, sometimes even in terrible situations if we really think about it. I mean, I think of Joseph. You know, we all know the Sunday school story of Joseph with the Technicolor dream coat, kind of, you know, cool-looking thing, right? And yet his brothers despised him. Why? He didn't know, but he was struggling with what was going to come. And he had the unfortunateness to tell his older brothers, yeah, y'all going to bow before me someday. It's really weird. I don't know what's going on with that. Right? And if we think about these stories, it's amazing. They sold him into slavery. They got rid of him. Told a huge lie. And the more I think about the more I read the Bible, I see these people, and I go, why would God let that happen to them? I don't want that to happen to them. And this is how I read the Bible as I grew up. After I gave my life to Christ... When I reopened up the Bible, I began to notice a lot of ordinary people being used of God. And I could look at that Bible. I don't know about you or you guys, but when I read the Bible, I look at it and I go, that ain't me. I, don't, I, I can't do that. Or, shoot, don't want to be him. Speaking of Joseph in this case, right? And then the dude, is, it even says he was good looking. So much so that after he was sold into slavery, he was accused of sleeping with his master's wife. I'm thinking, man, God, this story sucks. This is, why? Why would I need to know any of this stuff, right? But in, in, in the process of it, though, the guy gets put in jail. He's there for, I, I think the commentaries say that he was there for like 13 years. This is not how I'd want to be used of God. Can you imagine growing up, hearing your dad tell you about God and how God wants to use you? You even have dreams about it, and yet now you're in prison for 13 years? This is nuts. Yet in the end, he gets out of prison because of his gift, his, his unique gift to understand dreams and not only save the entire land, he ends up saving his entire ungrateful brothers and family. His family wasn't ungrateful for him, but I mean, you know what I mean? I don't like those stories. I don't like how God does that. It's like, you know, just tell me up front, please. Show me. Tell me. Speak to me, God. And yes, what shall I do? I want to go that. You want me to do that? Okay, all right. Wouldn't that be easy? Wouldn't that be great if God just came down and he just said, here's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to go over here and I want you to do this. And because of that, the entire nation of Afghan will be saved. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, we think of these amazing real-world situations that we live in to this day. Many of you may be old enough that you remember that when we used to talk about martyrs, that was never the case when we grew up. It was just stories. Now we live in a day and age where people are being killed because they're Christians. And it's reality. Think of that. For those of you that are older, our children are growing up, potentially hearing stories of people having their heads cut off because they live for Christ. I'm not sure I want to be that kind of Christian. I like my head. You know? If we just kind of think some reality of it, but in, in the realities of, of this life, it's like, but God, can you still use us today to affect lives and change? And my question again is, what should I do? What would you do? What would you do if you knew that God wants to use every single one of you in here no matter what your age, whether you're young 
are very old. God wants to use every one of us. Now, he might not do stuff that they would write a book about us in the Bible. I mean, I used to jokingly think that I had an ego about this big that said, yes, God, I would like the next book to be Michael, you know? And, and there we go. This is awesome, right? But in reality, if, if I could be... The sincere reality, almost like a selfishness. I wanted to be used of God. I heard the stories. I read the stories. And I was like, if God, if you are so real... Can you do that today? If you're that God, then God, come into my life. I want you in my life. I don't want to just know about you anymore. I want to experience you. I want to be one of those people that got used of you. How many, show of hands, how many would like to be used of God if it didn't involve having your head cut off? Okay. Right? So we all have a common, natural, selfish... I, 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 I describe it like this. It's a selfish desire to be used. But I think about, the, again, going back to these stories. I mean, so Joseph, he, he ended up saving the whole country. I don't think I want to go through what he went through. Think of Esther. You know, I'm thinking of all these Sunday school stories again because Mrs. Keene was a Sunday school teacher, and she brought these stories alive, and it's amazing how many of us can think back. Our main knowledge of some of the best Bible stories came from Sunday school if you think about it. And it's amazing how God can speak to us that way. But think of Esther, okay? Esther is enslaved. A follower of God, but she's enslaved, and not only enslaved, something we're not used to in our culture, but she was to be the wife, or one of the wives, of the king. Her whole sole purpose was something unmentionable in church. And it just seems, man... I don't, oh, I'd want to do that. And what an interesting, terrible situation she's in. I would not want to be, you know, what, there's different words. There. There's a slave, in a sense, indentured servant, in a sense. A, you have a situation outside of your control that you can't control. And yet God still used her. When her own uncle spoke a word into her life and said, you know, maybe you were born for such a time as this, right? We've all heard that story. Most of us heard it from Sunday school. But the reality is she was an everyday average person, and yet God made sure that that story was in the book for you and I to realize even in difficult, untrying times, even like what we live in today, God could still use you because maybe you were born for such a time as this. What is it God wants you to do? How would you ever figure that out? I want to be that person, even if there's just that one moment. Because for those that don't know, so Esther went on to have the right moment. She was in the right place at the right time. She saved all of Israel from being destroyed. And yet, was even in a very difficult time of life that you could think, how could God ever use me? She was used. Now, I, I like that story, too, because she was young, and I speak to teenagers a lot. But you don't have to be young, because Mordecai, her uncle, was not young. But see, God gave him a word of wisdom at the right moment, at the right time. And how many of you can think of someone in your own life where God sent them along, whether you knew it or not at that moment, 
to give you that right word at that right time that changed the trajectory of the direction you went. So today, if you have a Bible, whether it's on your phone or, you know, physically in front of you, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 8. And with these thoughts in mind, who was it for you? Who was it for you that God used that changed your life? And we're going to look at chapter 8, verse 26. And I want to read the text really quick. And it is 1046. Do I have another half an hour to an hour? What? Yeah? Yes. <laughs> Can I get an hour and a half? No? Okay. No, in all reality. Here we go. If you can look with me at chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way, and he met an Ethiopian Enoch, an important official in charge of all treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 32, the Enoch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the, sh the shearer in silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the Enoch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. And then both Philip and the Enoch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the Enoch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. All right, look back up here. Okay, so that is the passage for me. That's the text. When, when, when often sharing and you're praying to God about what should you be sharing about, lots of times he'll put a story on your mind or on your heart. And I believe this story was specifically for you today. The story was specifically because um, as I speak about being a difference, here is a story about somebody who was a difference. Philip was much like many of us. He was not an apostle. They go on to say in Acts, they called him Philip the Evangelist even, to help denote that he's not Philip the Apostle, Philip the Evangelist. Matter of fact, we learn of Philip in Acts chapter 6 that he was more or less a deacon or an elder. Or if you really want to get down to it for me, the more I looked into it, he was a volunteer, a helper in the church, which is a role that many of us can play. And Mrs. Keene was clearly an example of that in our lives for me because she 
was doing something volunteer for the Lord that she could do, right? And Philip here, he was, it literally says in Acts 6, that the, the disciples, the apostles, had gotten to a point where they needed to continue to preach and they needed to continue in the word and study. And yet they were in a situation where they, the, they were giving out food, they were helping distribute to these, the, the widows of this one area. And so basically what happened was, was they, they basically said, we can't keep serving the tables. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time in the word so that we can continue to grow the, the body of Christ as, as it went forward. And so they said, let's look for seven people in the church, let's say, right, that are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Philip, my boy Philip here, was one of those people. Okay, so he was a helper. He helped serve tables. And then this great tragedy happened where all of a sudden there was all this upheaval going on in the city, and they all got dispersed around the countryside. So in a, in a same kind of time of crisis... Philip, who was a helper in the church, as he had to leave where he was and go into other cities, he goes on to start sharing the gospel, and he becomes an evangelist, that they speak of one who shares about Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, his main job was just to be an evangelist, tell people about Jesus, help them repent of their sins, and they have Jesus in their life. Later, we find out that this happened so much in his life that when he went to the, the next town, that when he was in that town, the entire town came to know Jesus because of him. So much so that it caused a stir because the town was people that the Jews were not supposed to hang out with. Oh my goodness. Like teenagers. There are some teenagers I just don't want to hang out with, it seems. And those tend to be the ones that I really should hang out with because actually I was one of them at some point in my life, right? But here he is. Philip, the whole town gets saved. The apostles hear about it, and they send Peter and John to go check things out to find out what's going on. They're like, well, they all heard about Jesus, but they need the Holy Ghost. And so then they asked and prayed for the Holy Ghost to come into their life. In the meantime, God's not done with Philip. Remember our guy who served tables? He all of a sudden puts on his heart. He tells him, I need you to go somewhere. He doesn't just tell him to go somewhere. He says, I need you to go somewhere, and then I'll tell you later once you go. I hate when God does that. Anybody else? I mean, really, God? Really? You want me to go out the middle of nowhere in a farmland somewhere completely surrounded by corn that literally has to say, has a sign that warns me there's a church coming? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, and that's what it meant. He literally tells him via an angel, I need you to go here. I'll tell you more later, basically. So this is the first point of learning how to hear God use you. Are you first ready to believe God? There's an echo coming out that back wall right, right there. Let me stand over there. Are you ready to be used of God? This takes a lot of effort and a lot of guts. Because I tell you what, when you encounter the living God and you don't just know him, Stuff's going to get real, as they'd say. But interesting enough, the angel only told him enough, go there. We don't hear Philip saying, why? Like our little three-year-old would tell us. Why? 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 No. It's just go. And he was of, 
of the faith to a point where if God just said go and he has no idea where he wants him to go other than right over there, he would do it. I used to read the Bible, and I still read the Bible like this. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I read the Bible almost like a litmus test. Do you guys know what a litmus test is? I had to look it up because I've always just used the word. You know, it's like a chemical thing where it tells you what's, you know, acidy or not acidy and stuff like that. And if, if you're going to be a high official somewhere, the litmus test is, do you have what it takes? Why well, I'd read this passage and I'd be like, man, I don't know. It's, I, that just seems too simple. God just said, go over there. I don't know. And then he says, he makes a point of saying, it's a desert place. It meant he was literally going to head out of town somewhere on a path that is not normally, you know, heavily populated. And so he's like, okay, and he goes. And then as he goes, the Spirit then tells him the next step. See, sometimes we all get hung up on we want to know the whole picture of what God wants to do us with us up front. Why can't I know? Now, why do I say this a lot? again, is because teenagers are desperately always wanting to know, what am I supposed to do? And I don't know about the rest of you, but as I've grown up, I'm 52 now. It's amazing how many times the rest of your life you sit and wonder every once in a while, what, <laughs> what am I supposed to do next, God? What's happening next? I mean, how many, how many of you guys, your, your career has changed more than once? Anybody? Anybody? Right? How many the plans you had since high school have changed? Anybody? Anybody? All right, I just want to make sure I'm in the right room because maybe you guys are all, you know, I might be living a different life than you guys or something, but it seems like it's amazing what God does. But he confirms then, once he's on the road, he's like, see the chariot? See that guy right there? Run up there. Catch up to it. Now, there's an interesting dynamic that's going on here. God has called on somebody that I'm thinking to myself, I don't know that I can just do that. You know, God, I want a bigger picture before I go and do something for you. And yet he just told him, can you follow the first step? I said, go. I have to ask myself, is my Christianity, is my faith in God to the point where if he said go, without me knowing where or what, I would go? That's my question to you today. Second, the Spirit then comes along and confirms go there. So now he's told to go run up to this chariot. Now, check this out. Go run up to the limo, the, the limo up there on the road, and I'm still not going to tell you what's going to happen. I just want you to run up to it. I don't know if I can do it. Think about that now. Philip was mightily used, and yet he tells him to go to a specific spot without knowing what's going to go on. Now he tells him to go run up to a chariot that has this really important dude in it, Right? Now, we know who the important dude is. He's, he's, he's a high official from Ethiopia who also oversees the treasury of the queen, and they, they draw that out. It's like, okay, so there must be some serious detail to this. Well, Ethiopians are from a, a, an area that was not Jerusalem, right? Again, God is doing something amazing. First, he sends them to a town that normally they never associate with, now, instead of an entire town, he wants them to go to one person. One. One person. And that one person, it says later, could have possibly been the whole reason why the church came to North Africa. Yet he doesn't know this yet. 
he's just obeying God. Speak to this one person. So he gets up there, and once he gets up there, he hears him reading out of Isaiah. And it's reading about Jesus. And it says, at one point, it literally says, but yet his heritage or his, let's, let me see if I can read that again. It says his, it says, in his humiliation, he was deprived justice. Who can speak of his descendants? That speak for he won't have descendants. And that was huge back then. To have a family meant you were blessed of God. And yet, it says, who can speak of his descendants? They knew exactly what that meant. That meant that he wasn't going to have kids. He wasn't going to have anything beyond him. And now, uh, somebody help me out. Is it eunuch or enoch? How, how, how do you guys think it's said in the Bible? A eunuch, right? And a eunuch is three ways a eunuch happens. They don't have the parts, right? Or the parts have been removed of them, or they choose not to use those parts ever, was part of what the Bible said. But this eunuch has no way to have children. It's his destination in life. Imagine now he's reading that. And all of a sudden that bears witness with him. Now, I haven't even talked about the Ethiopian eunuch to this point yet, but God had two people he wanted to use. He wanted to use Philip, who has already got God's ear, right? And he's, he's listening to God, right? And we learned that God first told him just to go somewhere. Then he confirmed along the way, now go do that. And then he, he hears the Ethiopian reading these things, and all of a sudden, it drops in his heart to ask him the question, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, no, nah, I don't. How unless somebody teaches me? And he invites him in the chariot with him. So he invites him into the limo, right? And he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now, all of us have easy access to a Bible. They didn't back then. And to buy a scroll, because it came rolled up, to buy a scroll was some serious cha-ching, some serious money. And here this guy is sitting there reading it. It was of the custom back then. When you read it, you read it out loud. Right? So he could hear all this going on. So then he formulates the question asked. He gets invited in. He tells him about Jesus. And it was so life-changing for him. The moment they saw water, which was very common back then for, for baptism to be the sign of a life that has been changed, he says, why don't we do it now? And the Ethiopian is the guy that does this. The Ethiopian's life has now been changed. Think about this. God tasked Philip to go talk to one person because he needed that one person to be saved. There's many of us in our lives that we wonder, does God want to use us? He wanted to use that Ethiopian, an Ethiopian who could not have children. So it wasn't going to be physical, natural children that would come from this encounter, be spiritual children. Now, I want to tell you a selfish moment, and I'm going to bring this to a close. When I used to read this passage, how many of you guys, um, okay, maybe it's a teen thing, but comics were the thing back in the day. Now it's movies. And one of my favorite questions as teenagers is, if you had a superpower, what would it be? What would you want it to be, right? And there's all sorts of varieties. Oh, I want to fly like Superman, or I'd want laser eyes like Superman. I want... I'd want to be like Flash and run super fast, whatever, right? 
My favorite one was the guy that could be here and then disappear and show up over here. I thought that was better than flying. Right? How many of you guys drive? Anybody still drive? Right? Wouldn't it be great if you could just be like, I'm going to work. And then you're there. Right? I just, personal selfish favorite superpower. That would be awesome. It says that the moment that Philip baptized him and brought him up, the spirit took him and he showed up in another city. I looked at that as a young man and went, I don't have that gift. I don't have that ability. Wow, God, that's probably available to us. You know, the Bible literally says that Jesus said, the things I do, you will do, and even greater. <laughs> what? <laughs> Philip <laughs> disappeared. I right away looked at that as a litmus test and said, my Christianity is not at that level. Anybody that's in here that are gamers, you know that when you first started on a game, you die pretty quickly, you know, or you fail pretty quickly. But as you get better and better at it, you go up the levels. I right away, even as a young person, could recognize that God had certain levels of Christians that were out there, people that served him. I was not of the kind that could call fire down out of heaven. Another great Sunday school story. You should have seen that one in the classroom when the fire alarms went off. That was pretty awesome, right? I couldn't part water. We've all seen that. Maybe you've all seen the comic joke where Moses is sitting there at the lake and all of a sudden he causes the water to part with his buddy that's fishing. And the guy goes, Moses, stop it, right? And it's just, don't have that kind of power. Don't, uh, Philip does this, and I'm like, man, God, I want to be used of you. I want to be the difference in someone else's life. Like I've seen all these stories throughout the Bible, and now here, Philip, you guided him clearly. Obviously, you wanted this Ethiopian to, to know you and serve you, and you sent him. I want to be able to be like that. Some way, somehow, show me how to do that, God. What about you? So I'm going to end with this story. I challenge you to read this story on your own again. But just as I was leaving high school, I had a dilemma that an old man, so remember I told any age, God can use you. I don't remember what the circumstances were, but this old man from my church down at uh, the harbor, um, he sat with me to get to know me a little bit. I don't even know his name. I hope it's Roger Grosselin. He was an older gentleman that was in my life back then, but I don't even remember anymore. Um, but this old gentleman asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm torn. I want to I serve God. I want to live for God. And yet I have, a, I, have a, I have an opportunity to go to architectural school uh, because I did really good in high school with that because I'm highly creative, and, and I really like that. And yet, I, you know, I don't know. I want to be an architect, but I want to be a missionary. Right? And we all have these different kind of struggles. And this old man said to me, he said, have you ever thought that maybe God would like to have an architect in the mission field? Like maybe you would design churches like say in Argentina or something like that, you know, where you would, you would draw the church and, and you'd create it. And wouldn't that be an awesome thing as a missionary, right? That you'd have that skill. Since, I mean, if they're going to give you a scholarship to go to school for it, you should consider that. Some church could really probably use that, right? That one moment settled it for me. 
Isn't that amazing? He wasn't my family member. Even though my, my, my grandfather would say, listen to anyone that's older than you. They have wisdom. Right? That was the best advice my grandfather ever gave me. And yet, this old man says this to, to, the, to this day, not knowing who he is anymore in my own life. That changed my trajectory. I went to, instead of going to Bible school to become a missionary, I went to my architectural school. I graduated with my architectural school. And a couple years later, all of a sudden, our church says, we're going to go to Argentina for the first time on a mission trip. Who wants to go? Well, you guys all know what happens when stuff like that happens, right? Inside, you're sitting in the pew, and your, your heart's going. And you're sitting there going, shh, 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 shh. And you're like, oh, I don't feel, I don't feel good anymore. Ah, oh, oh, because you instantly remember. The old man said, maybe God needs an, Ar you know, an Argentine guy. You know, go to Argentina and be an architect. I sign up for the trip. Many things happened that blew my mind. At the time, I'm going to Bible school trying to learn how to preach. But they won't teach me how to preach. You probably can tell today. I may not know how to put a sermon together. But I'm passionate about the things that God does. And so I'm trying to learn that. I'm going to school. And I'm driving the bus for the Hastings Bus Company. And Minnesota coaches had a coach bus that would drive down to Treasure Island. So I would pick up people. I would leave Bible school, go pick up people to take them to Treasure Island. And then I would eat their free food, take their $5 and quarters, go to sleep in the back of the bus, and start all over by bringing them back home. And in the process, one night, I'm sitting there, and I'm complaining to God. Why can't you just show me how I'm supposed to do this? Because I was supposed to get $1,200 to be on that mission trip, and it was due tomorrow, and I had nothing. I was like, I'm sick of this, God. Gee whiz. And I'm, I'm in my bus just by myself, kind of having this, you know, wah-wah story with God. And all of a sudden, it pops in my mind. When I signed in that night, they were having a Toys for Tot drive. Every $10 toy that you bring in, they will give you $15. So while I'm in the bus, all of a sudden, this word drops into my mind, this thought drops into my mind as I'm complaining to God about money and how am I supposed to do this stuff, God? And he sits there and he says, why don't you go in there and find out how many can you bring in? Just go ask the question. So I get that thought. I calm down. I go inside and I go to where we sign up as bus drivers. And I say, is there a limit? They start asking around. Nope. <laughs> then God says, I think you need to go buy some toys. Now, I love kids. I love toys. But at the time, my, my card, my bank card, only let you take out $200 a day. I said, what about it, God? Well, God's like really brilliant. He's like, duh, go take out $200. So I go take out $200, and I go buy $200 worth of $10 toys. And I bring it back, and all of a sudden I have more than $200 handed back to me. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is cool. And, duh, I asked God again, well, what should I do about this? He's like, I think you need to go buy more toys. Where do you go buy toys at 1 o'clock in the morning? Walmart was closed in Hastings at that time. I'm like, Cub Foods was open. 
So I went and bought all these Cub Food semi-trailers that were 10 bucks at their store that they had, right? And I bring them down there, and in the morning, I had like $750. I was like, wow, this is awesome, God. I'll at least be able to give this there. And um, I'm figuring for sure in the morning, everybody's going to wise up, right? And in the process, of this, this isn't even the amazing part of the story, but the, the story goes, at the end of the day, I forgot while dropping people off to ask any more about it, but I forgot my keys in the bus. So when I left, I literally had to go back. And when I went back, I, they said, hey, Santa Claus, how you doing? And they were joking about that and stuff. They're like, you're going to buy any more toys? And I'm like, oh, I thought it was over. And they're like, oh, no, it ends at midnight. I'm like, what? So then I went to Walmart with my little four-door Nissan Sentra. And I said, I need help. And we went to the, the toy section, and we bought every $10 toy I could to the point that it was literally my entire car was packed. I'm driving down to Treasure Island like this. <laughs> and I get there, and they're all like helping carry it in and everything like that. I walked out with not only the $1,200 for the mission trip, but the $200 that I had in my account got replenished. And I went back, and I said, this is amazing. And I thought that was the end of the story. We get to Argentina. Everybody on the team knows the only reason I'm going is because an old man said God might need an architect in Argentina to draw a church. We're just doing the normal missionary stuff and everything like that. About day three, the missionary walks in with just this sad, sad face and says, we got troubles. You know the church that we're trying to build? The local officials said that it was drawn wrong. Now this missionary, by the way, didn't know my purpose. I didn't know my purpose was about to happen. Unless we tear the building down or change the drawings, they're going to charge us $5,000. Everybody in the room turned and looked at me instantly. And I'm like going, We instantly went in town, got me supplies, and for the next two days, I stood over their glass dining room table redrawing the church blueprints that I'd spent two years learning how to do in school and had four years of high school before that. Drawing a church in Argentina, and I'm telling you, you can't stop the tears at that moment when you're realizing all these little things that happen in your life that God pre-planned, spoke into your life, mentioned to your life, God into your life, that he wants to use you. And there I was, redrawing a church in Argentina. People, I want to tell you, God wants to use you. Who is more pivotal in that story? Me or the old man whose name I can't even remember that's spoken to my life who probably has no idea what God did through him being willing to speak into my life. How about you? That means every one of us is at play. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you wrote a story about how badly you wanted that Ethiopian to know you that you sent somebody who was successfully doing ministry, who was a volunteer like many of us here today, to just speak to one person, even though you didn't show them the whole picture. God, I pray that you would take that story and challenge every one of us here 
Who is it? What is it? Where is it that you want us to go? To speak to, to talk to, to encourage, to follow you, to live for you. God, I pray that you would make it so real that they know that they know that they know they should just do it. Help them to be attentive. If you need to send an angel, send an angel. If you need to take the Spirit and have the Spirit confirmed, yep, that's what I want you to do, have them confirm what you do. Give us the wisdom, God, when we're in the moment to know what to say, like Philip did with the Ethiopian. And then give us the opportunity, God, for them to come to know you, whoever it is or whatever it is. Or like in my story, change the trajectory of someone else's life, even though it's not happening right here inside the church that it's happening out in the real world, out somewhere else, or like with Philip, down a road somewhere when we have a chance encounter to meet with somebody. Help us be the difference. Use us, God. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.